Did you know Montel uses artificial intelligence and machine learning to forecast spot prices, inflow to reservoirs, wind and runoff river production? We can improve forecasts for your individual power plants anywhere in Europe. Contact us at ai.motelnews.com for more info. Hello listeners and welcome to the Montel Weekly Podcast. In this last episode before the summer break, we are in a country close to my heart. We're in my city of birth, Reykjavik, and today we'll talk about energy matters in this island in the North Atlantic. It may not be physically connected to Europe, but nonetheless, there's plenty to get our teeth into. Joining me, Snjolvur Richard Sverreson, is Hörður Ornason, the CEO of Landsvirkjun. A warm welcome to you, Hörður. Thank you. Maybe we should start by talking about Landsvirkjun, especially for those who are not so familiar with what's special about this country and your company in particular. Yes, uh, Landsvirkjun is the national power company of Iceland. It's fully owned by the Icelandic nation and we are generating about uh, between 70 and 75% of the electricity in Iceland. One of the percent renewable. You know, we started out with uh, hydro, which is our, our main uh, source of energy. But we have also developed in, in geothermal, uh, which is also a fantastic way to produce electricity. Mm-hmm. And also, we have also touched up on, on wind, uh, where we have uh, quite a lot of possibilities, and but just are just starting to, to harness that resource. Absolutely. We'll come back to that later, Herder. But uh, I think I'd like to start off by talking about something which is fairly hot at the moment in Europe especially given what's happening on the European Commission level and maybe in terms of the recovery post-COVID turning into a green transition, and that's hydrogen. Mm-hmm. What's Landsvirkjun doing here? We have for many years been following the development in, in hydrogen and we believe and have believed for quite some time that this is a very interesting technology to store energy. We see a lot of opportunities, both for especially larger vehicles. We see direct electricity is especially good for the small vehicles. But we see also a lot of possibilities for, for other use, for heating and, and for replacing gas. So we, we think this is a very interesting opportunity and the, the technology is developing very fast now. At the same time, the market, because of the climate issues, the, the market is developing faster than ever before. So we are following it very closely and, and we are definite that we will participate strongly in this, this revolution. Do you have any ongoing projects? Yes, we have, we have a small project that we are working on, mainly, mainly focusing on the domestic market uh, that we, have, we are now in the planning process. But then we are also looking, looking at the possibility of export. Mm-hmm. Well, that's my next question, really. Um, could Iceland produce and export hydrogen to Europe and to other markets? Yes, I think so. I think the, if you look at the demand that, uh, that Europe is facing and uh, with these ambitious goals that they are setting them, you know, that uh, it's obvious that uh, hydrogen will mainly be coming from places outside Europe, I believe. Mm. We will have some production in our continent, but you will have to import it because of all the renewable energy that you need to produce it. Uh, so I think uh, Iceland can, with our nat- natural resources, I think we can contribute to that. Mm-hmm. What kind of numbers are we talking here? If we're talking sort of megawatts or even megawatt hours, and if we're talking about green hydrogen, that is something that the country has to decide. You know, mm. it's, uh, you know how much we want to harness. 
We are formulating how much we could produce. But if you look at the production in Iceland now, it's it's about 20 terawatt hours. And that could be increased significantly, especially with wind. Mm. So I think, you know, if needed, you know, we could be talking about 5, 10, possibly more terawatt hours. Then that's that's good. It's it's a significant amount, of course. It will not solve what Europe's needs. Mm. But I think it is... uh, it's a significant amount that Iceland can contribute, but this is also poli- uh, de- depends on the policy of the government. And of course, of, of what happens in elsewhere in Europe, yes, potentially. Yes. Yeah, because in Europe you have the infrastructure is already in place for yes. gas, and that's quite it's yeah. not so problematic. No, no. Uh, to the transport to... is more problematic, of course, from Iceland. Mm. But we see that also from other places that that are being considered. What about the constraints? What what are the, what would be stopping that kind of number being produced? I, th- I think the constraint is one thing is transportation. How 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 would it be transported from Iceland to Europe? And I think, but I think that is solvable. There is a lot of ongoing development that that we are following. It's also the constraint is you know how much energy will we be allowed to harness in Iceland? What will the government uh, and the Icelandic nation accept? Mm. So I think that is kind of the, the main constraints I see. And of course, crucial to new build or, or new development of hydrogen would be wind power. Yes. So Iceland's got huge resources. It's, it's quite a windy country, yes. but not many projects in the pipeline. Is that a fair uh, assumption? There are several projects in the pipeline, but they are not far in the pipeline. You know, mm-hmm. the, the, the permitting process is not quite clear in Iceland, but the government is has a, has a clear goal that they want to clarify that and and uh, I and I hope that will be solved, uh, you know, within few years. But there is the wind conditions are extremely good in Iceland, and we have a quite a lot of possibilities in building in remote areas where, where there are, you know, it's not close to people, and it's, and should not um, affect uh, people as we see the problem and follow the problems closely in Europe. People are opposing this more and more. So we hope that uh, we find ways of. Um, balancing the, the conservation of nature and, and the harnessing of wind. And we think that is doable. But it, it is important to have uh, good guidelines where to build it and where not to build it. But Iceland is a big country with a lot of wind. What's the public view here of, of wind? There's been, I mean, I don't know if you've followed what's happening in Norway or in, in Germany. Mm-hmm. There it seems to be growing opposition to yeah. onshore wind. What, what's the feeling here in Iceland? Uh, we follow that very closely. Now it's uh, you know it's very quite positive I would say, but that's also because we have not built a big wind farms in Iceland yet. But I think if we do this in the in the proper way, I, I think we can do it so in such a way that the vast majority of of uh, people support it. Of course, it depends on also what what is the energy used for, and I think uh, participating in the green revolution, fighting climate changes in the world, I think that is, or I hope that uh, that will create support with the Icelandic community. What's the role that Landsvirkin could have here in developing wind power? You know, we have been leading the development. We have already built uh, two, we built the first two windmills in 2013 to introduce these two Icelanders. At that time, the people said that, you know, why are you doing this? You know, this will never be competitive to hydro and geothermal. But we had foreseen the, the development we were expecting with the cost and the reliability of wind, and that has developed as we expected. So now it is is competitive, and and we have been the projects that are furthest in the permitting process. They are all large wind project. So we see we have a role, but we we are pleased also to see other parties participating. I think it's quite positive for Iceland if it's not only landscaping that is building wind farms.
so you're quite open to other developers coming in potentially. Yes, yeah. yes, I think that would be very good for the Icelandic market. And certainly a big driver in Europe and in the Nordics have been power purchase agreements mm-hmm. uh, for wind and, and for solar, but yeah. for wind particularly. Do you see a role for these kind of agreements in, in Iceland? Yes, that is a challenge because we are not linked to a market. Uh, and uh, you know, if, there, if you're going to make a contract with a new wind farm, there has to be a new off-taker. And hydrogen could, for example, be one, one kind of an off-taker. But I think that is something that we have to solve in Iceland. How do the, especially the other companies, get access to the customers? But we are we are willing to support that either with, you know, flexible power mm. or, or some other means, you know. But the, the important part is there has to be more demand than we see today. Mm. I mean, the, you signed a PPA with Nordrol, did yes. you not? Yeah, and and that's linked to the Norpool yes. price, is it not? I mean, what's your view of this this deal now, given the very low Nordic prices? I mean, we've seen on several occasions prices, the system price out and below one one yeah. euro. Yeah. yeah, that's of course was uh, you know I think that the, everybody is a little bit uh, surprised about the market condition in the market now, and this kind of mar- the market has just collapsed, and I think this is. Maybe a, a less a problem for landsurkin than than the energy companies in Scandinavia, mm. as we just have a small portion of our our contracts linked to Norpool. But we, you know, we we had a good year last year, mm. but we hope that it will pick up soon. But uh, but it shows the volatility of the market. But when it goes down like this, we can also expect it will go, you know, rise up to very high numbers. You know, this is. So this is a, a challenge that uh, that market participants, I think, or both buyers and sellers should be concerned about, you know, mm. because this is not sustainable. There's no sort of physical interconnection here, but there's quite a strong connection in terms of market and the pricing uh, yeah, yes. contracts in place. Yes. Yeah. Most of our contracts, PPS contracts, are fixed price contracts. You know? mm. so, so that is what we have been we used have been moving into a fixed price contract. Historically, we had uh, quite a lot of contracts uh, linked to the price of aluminium. We have moved away from that and we would prefer fixed price, but we agreed to, to try this out for, for only for four years with uh, one of our customers. But I think the experience that we have had is that we've also seen high prices that would be almost too high for our customer, but then we see this very low prices. And, and uh, this is of concern for the for the long-term PPAs to mm. base, based on Nordpool. So what that's one of the lessons learned that yes, perhaps yes. you wouldn't want to repeat this kind of uh, this kind of deal again or no we have to at least to consider that you know you know that because of this big fluctuation both down and and, and we can also expect it to go up we will uh, reevaluate that but this is only for a very small portion of our sales okay so it's a pool of your sales and of your portfolio there but uh, yeah. yeah yeah what are the alternatives you mentioned linking to the aluminium price yes or? but uh, but we we prefer fixed prices you know we mm. want to be competitive uh, pre- mm. with predictable prices and and uh, i think that is also what many industrial players like to have to have to have stable uh, working environment market environment mm. so that that is what we want to offer and but at the same time offer very competitive prices mm-hmm. I mean, that's um, um, traders like the volatility, but maybe the producers and the industrials yes, would they, want more yeah, stability. They don't like volatility. The buyers are happy now, mm. but that, you know, last year they were not happy. You know, then, then the price was quite high. There was a lot of talk many years ago and has been since about cable from Iceland, the Iceland cable. What's the status now, Hörder? I remember you telling us four years ago, I think, that, that Iceland was still keen on, on developing this. What, what's the current status? Yeah, we still, this is, is a, this is a very interesting project, uh, you know, because it could be quite feasible both for Iceland and for the UK. 
the groups to provide the flexibility and the reliability of the hydro system uh, to back up the wind in, in Scotland and, and the UK. But the, the status of that, is, this is on government level now, and uh, the governments have, have been looking at it. This is not a high priority. We have had many other issues that people have been facing lately, the, the COVID issues. But I think hydrogen is also a very interesting option. You know, this is in many ways the same for Iceland uh, to, mm. co- to get connection, to export directly power to Europe, either, either as hydrogen or, or directly with the link. And this also allows us to avoid the the surplus energy that we are bound to have in our system. You know, many people don't know that, you know, Iceland is kind of the one of the few systems or almost the only system, isolated system, electricity system that is 100% renewable with no backup from fossil fuels. And many people uh, say that this is impossible to do because of the unpredictable nature of, of renewables. But we solve this with having surplus energy that we, we, we have always enough energy within the system, especially the hydro system, to withstand the most difficult water year that we have experienced. But this means that we have on average 10-15% surplus in the, in the system. With an interconnector or with, uh, with export of hydrogen, we could create value out of the surplus without, and at the same time have the reliable system uh, that we want to have. So, so an interconnector would allow us to use our resources much better, but we see hydrogen also as an interesting option. Uh, so is the more talk mm-hmm. turned to hydrogen and away from the cable here? No, or? I, I would say that these are two good options. We good. see also that our customers now, we see the aluminium industry, not only in Iceland, just in Europe uh, and in the Western world, is facing significant difficulties because of the exports from China and, and countries like Iceland that are relying heavily on selling uh, energy to, to the aluminium industry have also to think, you know, if China continues to operate like this without any, then Europe is not going to fight back. You know, how will our customers, uh, you know, survive in the future? Mm. It, is, it is a very tough market. And, and it, China has been pushing the price very low. So I, th- I think we also see, you know, you know, we have to look at the, the total market, the aluminium industry, the interconnector, the hydrogen data centers, or... And we want to have as diversified customer base as possible. Are your customers feeling the squeeze here as well? And they're putting pressure on you as a, as a yes, company as well? Yes, yeah. yes. We see it, and not only here, but all, all over Europe. You mm. know, we see that the, the, the metal smelting industry, aluminium and silicon metal, you know, they are under heavy pressure from China. 2000, uh, China, the market share of China, aluminium, Chinese aluminium manufacturer was 10%. Today it's about 60%. So China is, you know, and, and to, for, for European producers to compete in production with China is difficult. And uh, Iceland and other power producers, we have to create as many options as we possibly can in this uh, challenging market. Absolutely. So, you know, post-COVID, we're a long way out of the woods yet. But once we get, you know, into a recovery stage, I know there are concerns in the Nordic and in some North European markets that, you know, the demand for aluminium or these products could wane, it could not recover to the strengths that's been seen before. Is this something that is also that is a concern for you? Uh, yes, yes. Yeah. I think that's, that's a concern. You know, how will the economy recover? And how will these uh, European companies compete with uh, the Chinese competitors, mm. which are you know, kind of working in a completely different market environment? Absolutely. So I think Iceland hasn't been that badly hit by the COVID-19 crisis, although the tourism industry, the hotel, the restaurant, of yeah. course, very, very badly damaged and the, and the, and the uh, hospitality 
but as far as industry, this is this is obviously the concern. Uh, yes, it's a concern. We are we are very concerned about the difficulties that our customers are facing. And if we just return to the interconnector, I mean, so it's it's not on ice. Would it be fair to say it's on ice? Or, or? No, it's not on ice, but it's uh, it's not uh, it's not with a lot of focus. But there there is, uh, you know, there is still strong interest, especially from the UK, to work on this project. But the Icelandic. Uh, the kind of government has to decide, you know, what is their, how do they see the project? Mm. And that is still an ongoing discussion. Because it's probably cheap, probably, don't really know, but probably cheaper than the Hinkley Point uh, deal. Yes, much, much cheaper. Much cheaper. Mm. But at the same time, the, you know, the low prices in, in Europe, you know, they are they are not helping big infrastructure projects like this. The expectation for power prices in the, in the coming years is much lower now than it was five years ago. So that is... Uh, making it more difficult to justify uh, by by a big project like the Interconnector. But I think it still is could create value for both UK and Iceland. Yeah, and of course, there are the priorities, as you mentioned. You've got the COVID, COVID recovery, you've got uh, Brexit, yeah. uh, uh, etc., yeah. etc. So, yeah. Then you have also new new possibilities. You have the data center industry, you have the, the hydrogen possibilities. You know, there are many very interesting prospects that we, we can can work on. That brings me on to my next question. You know, you're obviously we've talked about these large industrial companies in Iceland that are mainly mm. aluminium producers. But what is Lundsvikin doing to attract new demand? So, date, for example, data centers. Of course, you know, we want to work with our, our new our current customers, you know, and, and we want to support them as well as possible. Mm. And we have been able to make them more competitive by selling them more energy and supporting them in moving more to value-add products, so I want to continue to do that. But I think we also see, you know, Iceland is also a very good place for data centers because of the the, the cool ambient temp- temperature, uh, and uh, also we have a lot of space. We have uh, quite good connections with, uh, with data cables, although we would like to strengthen them further. But we are just, uh, you know, there's a strong growth in this area, and I think Iceland can be an interesting option for, for some of these companies that also wants to wants to operate in, in several different places. So we are, we are in good connection contact with several of the big uh, IT companies in the world that are hopefully uh, at least long term looking at Iceland as an as an interesting one of the places to to operate. Because it's quite a competitive segment, isn't it? I mean, I think you know we've got Finland yeah. and Northern Sweden that are also attractive. I think. Oh, all markets are competitive. Mm-hmm. You know, you will never find a market that is not competitive, mm. especially with uh, in industries like data centers, which is uh, generally good acceptance in, in in all communities to to attract them because of the kind of uh, types of jobs they create. So that, that is just a competitive market. Then, mm. and uh, I've never seen a market that is not competitive. How do you make you know it unique for Landsvirkin? How do you attract them to Iceland rather than? You know, to other parts of, of of Europe or the world. I think we can we offer very competitive prices. You know, the, the we have a, a lot of space that we can offer them. We have uh, highly trained people who work in these data centers, so I think we have a fairly, <coughs> fairly good value proposition. But I think you know we, we are only looking at a small, a very small segment of the market. We are not looking at uh, at a, a big part of the market. So I mm. think there is room for Iceland and Landsvirkin in this this competition market. But uh, we are fully aware of this is a segment that a lot of a lot of players are trying to attract these companies, and these companies know that mm. they, they know, know it is good for them. I'd like to also ask you about a big part of corporates and becoming more green and aware of wanting to source their their electricity from re- renewable energy. 
is the guarantee of origin that comes with it. I mean, I know that uh, certainly that you've had a lot of revenue from this yeah. this segment uh, over the past years. How do you feel about this market? Is this something that you want to to grow further? Or? Yeah, of course, you know we want to. You know, all our all our production is certified that it is green, so that when uh, the customers that that want to have that can have that as a part of the energy that we supply to them. Mm-hmm. But then there are other other companies that are, are you know, don't, don't see the value of this and, and don't want to pay any premium for that. So we are participating also in just selling selling the deals. I think that's a very interesting market, and and I, I it will be interesting to see in the aftermath of the COVID. One possibility is that that consumers put more pressure on on on, on the sustainability and the green part of all, all products. Mm-hmm. So I think that we might see more demand. But we have seen the demand has been increasing in recent years, uh, but the supply has been increasing faster, which is good in many ways. That mm. means that mm. uh, we are seeing increased production of green energy. So the prices have been, have been, have been going down. But I, I think, uh, you know, it will be interesting. But there, and there is a good possibility that the value of this will increase again, especially because I think the consumers will, mm. will put more focus on it. Is it at all controversial in Iceland because you know it's the, the lack of interconnection to any part of Europe, and then yes. and, and of course you, as you mentioned, hundred hundred fifteen percent of the country is already green. Yeah. So you, do we need you know does does it need these geos? I think the whole system in Iceland and other places is, con- is a little bit controversial. People confuse it. But it is e- easy to distract the, the the discussion on on, on green sort of it. But the, the, this is a good system to 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 connect responsible consumers with with responsible power producers and this is the only way to do it so i think we need just need to continue to educate it but this it is controversial in Iceland, but we see that also in all other countries where it is uh, where it is where it is practiced are you too concerned that the commission could maybe tighten the rules to the link the sale of geos to a level of physical interconnectivity i, I think that would be you know of course you never know know what happened with politicians but mm-hmm. I think that is uh, against the, the the true goal of the system to support development of green energy. Because despite if you have any connections, you, you know, you could never get the same electricity. You know, you know how are you going to buy green energy from wind farm that produces only thirty mm-hmm. percent of the time, but you buy all the electricity from there. You know, you know the electricity is not green that you sometimes get. So the, it is never connected the mm-hmm. delivery of the electricity and the green certificate. Even if you have a connection that has a very limited capability of transmitting power. So I think if you if you truly want to support development of green energy, you should not limit the system. And this system is functioning. A final question, Herder. Here in Iceland, and especially at Landsvik, you have a lot of expertise, knowledge of renewables, geothermal, hydro, and now wind. Do you have any plans to take that knowledge or expertise to other parts of Europe or the world? Yes, we have a have a subsidiary company, Landsvik Power, that uh, that we have been putting more emphasis on, and we are partnering with uh, with developers outside Iceland in developing, especially hydropower uh, and wind and, and geothermal where that is, is possible. So we we see that as also as a big contribution to fighting the climate change, but also as a value creation for Iceland. Where, which countries are you in, involved in? Uh, <clears throat> we are in several places. We are working in Greenland, Canada, in Georgia, in the Balkans, in Australia, in Africa, mm-hmm. in, in several. We're mainly selling consultancy, mm-hmm. but also participating with others in, in, in developing new projects directly. Excellent, Thank you very much for joining the Montel Weekly Podcast. Yes, thank you. Thank you. 
Well, listeners, that's about all from the Montel Weekly Podcast this week. We will return on August the 7th, so make sure to tune in then. Remember to keep up to date with all our stories on Montel News in the meantime, and follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Goodbye. Thank you.